Let's go to the word. Uh, go to the Lord in prayer as we open up the text here. Father, we thank you for the morning. We thank you for the opportunity opportunity to be able to enter into your courts with thanksgiving and with praise. And Father, we ask that you would now begin the work of unpacking your scriptures for us. Father, your Holy Spirit needs to teach us. Uh, Apart from the Holy Spirit, I have no ability in and of myself to convey biblical truth. Father, I ask that you would speak through me, that it would not be me that says the things that I say, but rather that it would be you and you alone that, that says the things that need to be said here. Pray that you'd guard our hearts and our minds from distractions. Help us to see your word as the preeminent thing in front of us. And that we would pursue that, long for that above all else. Uh, we love you, Jesus, in your holy and precious name. Amen. Um, so this morning, I, I want to talk about. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm taking a week break from uh, one week break from Galatians, and I want us to to focus this week on. Um, Something I think is important um, in the culture in which we live. I'm actually in the process of beginning. uh, I want to take our men here pretty soon through this book that's in front of me here. It's called The The Family Shepherd. And and I want to um, I I want to take us through this as men. But I I want this morning to try to unpack and help us understand that that men Men are important to our culture. Regardless of what the television tells us, regardless of what is in front of us um, in popularity, no matter what the feminist movement tells us and tries to shove down our throats, men are important. And I want us to understand that do not ever be ashamed that you're a man. I know that the world right now wants to try to make us as men feel as if it's wrong to be a man. And it's just not. God designed men the way they are. God set us up as cultivators, as builders, as as men who make things happen. Like God put that in us, that innate desire to make that happen. Don't allow the enemy to trick you into believing that you can or have nothing of value. Um, There's something over the last... 60 years, 70 years, that is really just, it's, it's shifted in the hearts of men. And it's, it's changed the dynamic of church. It's changed the dynamic of our communities. It's changed the dynamic of our nation because men's hearts have shifted away from the things of God. And so I want this morning to talk about the family shepherd. The family shepherd uh, that is um, the father, the men. Um, over the last 60 years, men, 60 to 70 years, men have dropped the ball when it comes to leading spiritually in their homes, leading spiritually in their churches, leading spiritually in their cities. Um, for the, for the name and the renown of Christ. And as a result of that, we have a new generation of young men that are coming up into the world right now. We have young men right in this moment that 
aren't just ignoring the things of God, but rather they're now aggressively pushing against the things of God. So rather than just ignoring, like the generations in past have just ignored and done other things. They ignored the things of God. Now we've got a new generation that's not just ignoring the things of God, but they're aggressively pushing against the idea of godliness. And I believe that this has got to change. This has got to change. Um, in this book that I, I've been reading, um, Charles Hodge, who was the president of Princeton Theological Seminary in the, in the mid-19th century, he said, the head of the family should be able to read the scriptures as well as lead in prayer. All persons subject to watch and care of the state of the church should be required to maintain in their household this state of worship of God. A man's responsibility to his children as well as to God binds him to make his house a Bethel. If not a Bethel, it will be a dwelling place of evil spirits. Hodge also Recognize the singular importance of the family in the broader scope of God's redemptive work. He says, the character of the church and of the state depends upon the character of the family. If religion dies out in the family, it cannot anywhere else be maintained. It, it, it can't. And so we've got, we've got this this. Weird animal that's now in our culture that we've just allowed. And everybody's like, right now, I know people are like, I just don't know what's wrong with our country. I do. Men have left their post, fathers have left their post, husbands have left their post. I believe that it's time to change things back. We need to go back to how God set this up. That God set men up to lead, to initiate, to be men of action, to assume it is their job and their moment to actually lead their families to Christ. We need to hate apathy, reject passivity when it comes to the things of God. In 2 Samuel chapter 10, um, this was David when he had said when he had heard of it, he sent Joab and all the mighty men to army, the army of the mighty men. And he said, be strong and let us show ourselves courageous for the sake of our people and for the city of our God. And may the Lord do what is good in his sight. So. David says we need to find the mighty men to go and to lead. And we need to lead not just for our people, but for our cities. We need to be the men who are anchored into the truth of who God is. In Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30, it says, I, seek, I searched for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand in the gap before me. For the land and for me, so that I would not destroy it. So, this is like I'm looking for men who are willing to stand in the gap and are willing to build the wall up so that God is not going to destroy, but bless. Vody Bauckham says a selfless man will be characterized by patience, restraint and an eagerness to do what is best for the objects of his affection. 
We live in a culture, we live in a society that has placed an emphasis on so many things that do not have eternal weight or eternal nature. They're temporary things. I I wanted you to think about you as a father today. If you're in this room and you're a man, you're a father, uh, I want you to think about what you have passed on to your children, what you're passing presently on to your children. What do you think is important? What's important in the minds and the eyes of men today? What are you passing on to your children? Some of the things that men are doing right now that are passing on how to get a good retirement system put in place, make sure you got your money in order, how to play a sport, how to hunt, how to, how to handle a firearm, how to do um, finance. These are the things that men, think about this. As, and, here, and hear me before you, you turn me off, because immediately I think you're thinking, oh, Caleb thinks all these are bad. No, none of those things that I just mentioned are bad things. In fact, all of those things I mentioned are very good things. But my fear is that we've taken those good things and we've replaced the best thing with good things. And when we replace good things or I'm sorry, when we replace the best thing with a good thing, that good thing becomes evil. Think about how we as fathers work with our children on something that we're excited about. Something that we have knowledge about. Something that we feel is important. Sports, for example. What we'll do as men is we'll get our kids out in the field and we'll say, okay, Junior... This is how you handle the ball. This is what you do. This is how you throw it. This is how you catch it. This is how you work at making sure the ball gets into your glove or into your hands. This is how you take a man down. This is how you tackle. This is how you do certain things. This is how you accomplish certain things. And we'll get out and we'll maybe even get on our knees with our kid. And we'll maybe even like grab them by the face and look at him and say, listen. Daddy's trying to talk to you. I need you to understand this is how this works. This is the intricacy of how this thing plays out. You got to be paying attention. This is how it works. And so we explain these details very granular to the very core basics so that our children will understand them. Same thing with hunting. We take our kids out and we'll say, okay, this is how the, the, the intricacies of the weapon, we're going to open it up. Here's, the, here's how this pen works. And maybe we'll get next to them and say, okay, this is how you aim. This is where you look through. See the scope here? This has got a laser. Mine's got a laser. So you go look through and see how that laser works. Look at that. See the little bead right there? This is how it works. And this is how you take your gun apart. This is how this works. And we go through all of the intricacies and we say, do you understand? Like, this is important. Do you understand? Yes, Daddy, I understand. Okay, okay, good, 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 good. Now, this is how we, this is how you manage your money, sweetheart. This is the things that matter. We need to pay, pay attention. Men can become truly passionate about certain things. Things that they find important. But man, something weird has happened in the last 60 to 70 years with men. We've refused to show our children how to follow Jesus well. And how's that working out for us? I want you to, I'm not not calling any names or anything. I just want you to think in your own life, your own experience. 
where men have dropped the ball on sharing and, f- and showing who Jesus is. Think about where some of those children are today. Are they loving and pursuing Christ? I can think of one of my friends where dad was just not anywhere around. He had stepdad after stepdad after stepdad who none of them loved Jesus. And he was in church when he couldn't drive. He was involved in youth group up to the point where he, where he stopped or where he started driving. Once he got his license and he got a job to maintain his car, he never came back to church. Never. Saw him one day working and I, and I talked to him and I said, Josh, what's, what's going on? Man? I haven't seen you in church in months, man. Where you been? And he looked at me and he said, Caleb, I tried that Jesus thing. It just didn't work out for me. Like, what? What do you mean tried that Jesus thing and it didn't work for you? Like, read the scriptures. No one tries Jesus. It's either you're in or you're not. You're a follower of him or you're not. And we've had men who've just dropped the ball and refused to teach their children of who Jesus is. They don't open the word with their kids. They don't worship with their children. And they, they, they say, you know what? That's the woman's job. That's the woman's job is to, is to do this. It's not my job. It's not my responsibility to make sure my kids are in church. It's the woman's job. And so that's tier number one. Tier number two is we say, well, it's the church's job to teach my kids. It's the church's job to teach my kids about Jesus. It's your job, pastor, to teach my kids about Jesus. No, it's not. It's my job to pastor the church and shepherd the church. But it's your job to teach your children. Psalm 78, listen to this. Psalm 78 says this. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from old. Things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us, we will not hide them from our children, but we will tell them to the coming generations the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. Now, think about this. He's, he opens his, this text in Psalm 78. says, I will open my mouth in a parable. This is like a story or a moral or spiritual teaching. That's, that's what Jesus did. Jesus taught in parables. And then the next one. The next one sort of kind of confused me in verse 2. It says, I will utter dark sayings. When I first saw that, I was like, oh, that's, what is this? What does dark sayings mean? I did a little bit of word research and did some some studying on this and this this really what this means is i'm going to talk about doctrinal and historically difficult teachings with my kids i'm going to talk about difficult subjects about the bible with my children i'm going to open the word with my children i will utter these difficult things from old i will talk about doctrinally difficult things from to my children Things that I've heard from my father. Like, you know why I know the things about the word of God? Because my dad took time to teach them to me. Now, 
My dad was a curse breaker. His dad, his father was not that. His father was the guy that was an engineer for Phillips, moved all over, lived in India, worked in India, made a ton of money. Phillips Petroleum Company still uses some of the things that my grandfather figured out. So he was, he was smart, like he was a genius. Like the man was a genius, but when it came to the word of God, he knew nothing. I don't know what happened. His dad knew the word. His mom knew the word. My great-grandfather, my great-grandmother loved the Lord, were in church often. I don't know what happened there, but my grandfather did not pass this on to my father. My father had other godly men who stepped into his life and showed him who, what the gospel was. And as a result of this, these godly men got around my dad and my dad grew in the knowledge of God. Fathers in this generation and a generation ago are hiding. Listen to me. Like this is, this is important stuff because the Bible just says, I will not hide these things from my children. And what we're doing in this generation and a generation back is we've been hiding the things of God from our kids. What do you mean we're not? How do you mean we're hiding these things? We're just not talking about them. We're not telling our kids, thus saith the Lord. We're not taking teachable moments to say, this is what God wants from you. Be a man of integrity. Be a woman of integrity. Pursue righteousness. Pursue holiness. We're not opening up to Psalms 139 saying, this is how God created you. You know what? You want to know why there's such gender confusion right now and everyone is going, oh, I don't know. Mr. Potato Head, Mr. Potato Head, boy, girl, I don't know. You want to know why that is? Because we don't have parents who have opened God's word and said, listen, God made you just the way you are. You're not a mistake. We have parents that are now saying, well, if little Junior wants to be a girl, well, I guess so. Like, what kind of parent is that? That's not, a, that's not a parent. Like, a parent is not protecting. Like, your job is to protect your kids. And if you're ever going, well, if Chuck wants to be Cindy, then okay. And if Cindy wants to be Chuck, then okay. How wicked is that? We've got Christian parents that are doing this. I've got friends who say they belong to Christ, who have a daughter who said, man, I want to be a man. Like these people are, they claim to know Jesus. Sunday school teachers. What? Where did this come from? Because we have kept back the things of God from our children. We have not uttered the, the hard things in the text. We've not laid this out in such a way that it bears weight on our kids' souls. Rather, we've abdicated our roles to mothers and to the church. And thank God, and let me just, before you think, oh, you're whipping up on moms. No, no, no. You single moms out there that are taking the weight of this, God bless you. God bless you that you're at least trying. God bless you for that, that you're at least trying. Men, the men that are in this room that I have a little bit of influence over, I want to try to help us understand that God's given you as a man as the role to shepherd your home. A shepherd's primary responsibility is the safety and welfare of their flock. 
First Peter chapter five, verse two says, care for the flock that God has entrusted you. Now, I know what some of you are in here saying is, well, wait a minute, Caleb, that text interprets that's about pastors. And I'll agree with you. It is about pastors, but it has an application to dads. Care for the flock that has been entrusted to you. Watch over them willingly, not begrudgingly, not for what you can get out of it, but what, because you're eager to serve God. Like I said, I understand that the primary directive here is to pastors, but the application is to men and their homes. Men, 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 fathers, grandfathers, you're the pastor of your home. If there are people in your house that you're taking care of, if there are people under your roof that you're taking care of, you're their pastor. You're their primary pastor. You are. And here, secondly, I'll tell you that that this verse is about pastors. The the interpretation that it is about pastors in the church. And I would be foolish if I did not stand here as your pastor and give you the wisdom and the understanding from the word and make it clear that you are the preeminent teacher for your children. You're the one who is to teach your child. It's important that I talk to you all about making Christ the preeminent one in your homes. You've been given a direction by God himself to lead your homes. Think about the honor and the privilege that you get to do this. Like that I get to take care of my boys. That I get to take care of my wife. And that I get to take care of my daughter. That I get to do these things. God chose you to raise your kids and to love your wife well. God chose you to lead your family. That is an honor. That is an honor. So, men, I want you to understand you're important. I know, like, I'm not going to be up here just beating you up. I'm trying to help you understand that you're vital. You're important for your home. You are important for your home. Last week, I, I briefly referenced 1 Corinthians chapter 16 last week, and I, I want us to go there. Go, grab your Bibles and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. We're going to look at verse 13 and 14. I want you to see this. It says, this is Paul writing this. He says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, and act Like men, be strong and let all you do be done in love. I want us to unpack this idea for a minute and look at this text. He says, number one, he says, be watchful and stand firm in the faith. So what does this look like? Be aware of your weaknesses, fellas. Be aware of where you are prone to attack and be aware of what's happening around you as a man. So many of us are not paying attention to our own weaknesses and by default, what we've, we've given ground to the enemy because we're not paying attention. So many of us in this place have handed ground over willingly to the enemy. We just, swoop, all right, here you go, it's yours. We've willingly handed over ground to the enemy that really was never his in the first place, but we, we gave him a seat at the table. We gave him a seat at the table. 
This is one of the schemes of the devil that he uses. So this is where I want to just tell you encouragingly, watch yourself. Pay attention to what's going on around you. Watch yourself. Know where you're prone to fall into sin and avoid the things and the places that will cause you to sin. The second part of this is walk in faith. Walk in your faith. Stand firm in your faith and don't waver in your faith. You say, well, Caleb, too late. I've wavered and I have not stood firm. Well, you're in good company because neither of the rest of us. <laughs> Amen. Anybody? Okay, just checking. I, I, I've don't, I haven't lived in my faith out the way I should. I've wavered. And I would say, man, I agree. I've done the same. But the example that we have in the word is that we are to stand firm in our faith. We're to be obedient. And we have, a, and now listen to this. This is an interesting story that I'm going to talk to you guys about. Um, we have this example in the scriptures about commitment to the faith of God. Hebrews chapter 11, the the heroes hall of fame of the faith, the who's who of the Bible. These are the guys that have done it well. Hebrews chapter 11, verse five and six talks about this guy named Enoch. Enoch. He was taken up so that he would not see death and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, it was commended that he had pleased God. And then we have verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and is a rewarder of those who seek him. So Enoch was a weird, like he was a fascinating individual. Who was he? Well, we get a small glimpse of who Enoch was in Genesis chapter 5. So if you've got your Bibles, go back over to Genesis. Go to the beginning uh, of the Bible. It's, a, it's an easy one. Just flip back. Genesis, very first, bo- very first chapter, uh, very first book of the Bible. Genesis chapter 5. Genesis chapter 5. I'm trying to lose my other place here. Genesis 5. And then we're going to look at... Um, we're going to get a running start in verse 18. We're going to talk about his dad, Jared. Genesis chapter 5, verse 18 says, When Jared was 162 years old, he became a father. Wait, man, think of 162 years old. Some of you guys are weaklings. <laughs> He's 162 and he had a kid. Wow. So Jared's 162 years old. He becomes a father to Enoch. And now listen, and after the birth of Enoch, Jared lived another 800 years. Fascinating. And he had other sons and other daughters. So there was a lot of other daughters and sons that were had, but God chose to talk about this one guy named Enoch. So Enoch was born when Jared was 162 years old. And Jared, at the end of all this, lived 962 years and then he died. Verse 21, then we start to talk about Enoch. Enoch was an was a eager beaver. He was early riser here. He had his kid at 65, not 162. So Enoch, when he was 65, became the father of Methuselah. And after the birth of Methuselah, Enoch lived in close fellowship with the Lord. 
for another 300 years. And he had other sons and other daughters. And Enoch lived 365 years walking in close fellowship with God. And then one day he disappeared. He's disappeared. So why did God take Enoch? Enoch was raptured off of the planet. God took him. He did not die. Enoch did not die. Enoch is still alive. He never had a physical death. God just said, what? You're going home with me. God took him. Because he stood. So why did God take him? Because he stood firm in his faith. Remember in Hebrews chapter 11, it said, before he was gone, it was commended to him that he followed God closely, that he had strong faith. He walked in fellowship with God. Now you say, you ask the question, the question has to be asked, why is it that Enoch became this way? Why did Enoch all of a sudden change his mind and start to follow God? Well, the Bible tells us why. When Enoch was 65 years old, he became a father to Methuselah. Now, verse 22 is the hinging point. Look at this. Verse 22. After the birth of Methuselah, Enoch lived in close fellowship with God. After the birth of his child, he lived close to God. So it stands to reason that before the birth of his child, he did not. Before the birth of his child, Enoch did not live in close fellowship. So here's the example. Caleb, I've I've messed up. I've not followed Christ the way I should. I have wavered in my faith. So did Enoch. But he had a kid, and that sparked something in him that he said this, this. this sparking, this, this birth of a child, the weight was laid upon him to find out who his creator was. So he took the knowledge that God had given him and he trusted in who God was and had faith in who Jesus was. And that faith grew. It grew. And what happened? One day, he was so close to God's house that God just said, Enoch, you're closer to my place than yours. Why don't you just come on home with me? Why don't you just come on home with me? So Enoch walked in close proximity to the Lord Jesus because he had a desire to want to pass on a legacy of godliness. He wanted to pass on a a desire to know Jesus. Now, what what do we know about Methuselah? Methuselah was his kid. Methuselah was the oldest man in recorded history. 969 years old. You know what Methuselah means? When he's gone, it will come. The moment that Methuselah died was the day the flood started. Do your history and your lineage to know that the day Methuselah died was the day of the flood. So think about God's long-lasting mercy. How long did God give that generation time to repent? 969 years. 
When he died, God's wrath was laid out on a sinful and wicked generation. But what started, what, 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 what began the process here is Enoch had a desire to want to know who God was. The idea of the text is this. Because of the birth of his son, he did not want to just have a passivity about eternity. He wanted to know about God and what he expected. He wanted to know what it, what it, what it looked like. The faith. You say, well, Caleb, what is, what's faith? Hebrews chapter 11 gives us what that is. He says, now faith is the assurance of things that are not seen. It's conviction of things not seen and the things that are hoped for. And we know that without faith, it is impossible to please God. You say, well, I want to please the Lord. I don't think there's anybody in the room, if I said, ask you directly, said, do you want to please the Lord Jesus Christ? I think every one of us in the room would be like, yeah, I want to please God. So if you want to please God, you have to, number one, believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Draw near to God. Draw near to him and he will draw near to you. And listen, this takes strength. This takes some, some gumption in the day in which we live to follow after and pursue the God of the Bible the way this is telling us to. I know that in the culture in which we live, men don't want to do this. We're busy. We are so stinking busy. We all have jobs. We all have things that we are doing. And we're just busy. Have you ever thought for two seconds that that might be the enemy? He has so muddled the water with busyness so that you're not paying attention to what really matters. You're so busy worrying about how to pay your bills, how to take care of the work that's in front of you, that you just at the end of the day, listen, at the end of the day, I get it. I sometimes don't want to pray with my kids. I just want to get in bed and go to sleep. And sometimes they just want me to go to sleep. Right? But my responsibility as a father is to stand firm in my faith and not to waver in my faith. It is to stand firm and to shepherd my family. Like I said, the president of Princeton, Princeton used to be a reformed theological seminary where godliness was proclaimed. This is what the president said. The character of the church and of the state, the character of the church and the state depend upon the character of the family. You want to know why our churches are in shambles? Because we don't have men who are leading. You want to know why our nation is in shambles? Because we do not have godly men leading. We've got godly men that are giving up left and right. Nah, we quit. Not coming back. Not going to do what I've been called to do. That's a dangerous spot to be in. If you're a man, God has given you a specific role to lead this place. You know what the, you know what the biblical model is to run a church? Elder leadership. Men, as elders, gather together and they lead the church. Read the Bible. The way we have 
church leadership set up is not biblical. It's just not. Biblical leadership is to be set up under godly elders. I didn't make this up. This is in, the, in God's word. And so what my goal is, what I want to do is I want us to act like men. I want us to be the family shepherds that we should be. And so my goal as your pastor, as the I'm the under shepherd of this place, following the lead shepherd, Christ. I'm the under shepherd. I'm not the main guy. I'm following the main shepherd. His name's Jesus. But we've been given a mandate to be the shepherds of our homes and of this place. We're to be strong in this. This kind of faith, you've got to have strength to do it. But whose strength is it? Well, according to Galatians chapter 6, it's the Lord's strength that we are to put on and to walk in. It's not, all right, Caleb's going to muster this up. Dun, 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 dun. Caleb doesn't do that. I put on the strength of God. I walk in the strength of God. And let me just, like, the young men that are in here right now, there's young guys in here. Begin now setting the foundations. I'm, I'm looking at all the young fellas in here. Begin now the setting of the foundation of godly principles in your life now. That you're, no matter what comes, thus I will stand in the rock of Christ and I will lead my family. I won't make it my wife's job to lead the kids. I will be the man who leads my family. That's been my prerogative since I became a dad. That I will, guess what? I've got to lead all of my kids to Christ. I've got to pray with them. I've got to be in the close, well, and I, 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 was, I gave permission for my dad to baptize my kids, but I got, I was, my feet were in the water. I was in the water and I watched their grandfather, my dad, baptize my kids. Like that's, like that's what we need to be doing as men setting the stage now. What do we do as older men? Men, we're to, we're to, we're to teach young men how to do that. And if we're not doing that, we're, we're disobeying God's word. If we're not teaching young men, so we've got older men in the room. Older men, it is your job to help teach younger men. I'm a young guy. You say, well, I'm the pastor. You're the pastor. I'm a you, some of you guys in here are older than me and know things about the word of God that you could share with us. It is your responsibility to do that. There's nowhere in the text that says at 65, you hang up your teaching. The men in the Bible taught till they died. They just did. This is why it is vital that you and I have a close fellowship with God. When we walk close to God, we cannot get picked off by the enemy. But when we get out here and just do our own thing and say, man, I don't need the fellowship of the church. I don't need to be in, in close proximity to anybody that loves Jesus. I don't need to be around other believers. I don't need to be involved with church. I'm busy. I'm busy. I'm busy. I'm busy. That's when men get picked off. That's when folks get picked off is when we get busy doing the things that we think are important. What's the scripture say? There is a way that seems right to man, 
But at the end, it leads to death. Right? So what do we do? As a result of walking in the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll do everything you can do in love. Oh, this is my heart's desire. That I want to do everything that I do in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is love. Jesus, God is love, and I want to do what he's called me to do in such a way that it exudes his holiness. It exudes his love. And guys, if you're not doing this, like we could change that. And that's my promise to you as your pastor, is we're going to begin this process soon. I'm going to get with guys. We're looking probably on a Sunday night because Sunday night, I I know that during the week is just crazy for us. I get it. So I don't want to dedicate another night to have another thing. But on Sunday nights, most of us got nothing going on. And if we do, for God's sake, wouldn't you want to rearrange your schedule if you knew you could know, know Christ in a more intimate way? Well, I got, I'm too busy doing stuff. Well, what are you busy doing? <laughs> Fortnite. <laughs> busy doing online poker. I'm, on, I'm busy doing this. I'm busy doing that. Well, you need to quit being busy and get in here and say, okay, I want to be a man who's going to do what God's called me to do. I want to shepherd the flock that God has given me. So that's my goal is I want to disciple. Jesus said, Go make disciples. So what's your pastor? What's my goal? Every man that's in this room, I want to help disciple. And guess what? You're probably going to disciple me along the way. Amen? Because there's going to be information that you know about God that maybe I don't know. Because guess what? I'm just going to be the guy up front. I'm not the smartest guy in the room, but I want to be the most available to God's desires for my life. That should be every one of us in the room. Don't be the smartest guy in the room. Let's be the most available. So in the coming weeks, I'm going to be sharing um, when we're going to be meeting. I think it's going to be on Sunday nights because I think that's just best. Um, We'll convince Tyler or Darren to to make steaks or something. That's always enticing, right? (laughs) Tyler's not my cooking. No, no, no. But guys, I have a... like. You say, well, Caleb, where is this coming from? Man, my heart... You know what I was doing before I was pastoring? I traveled the country doing men's ministry. I yelled at guys for hours on end. That's what I did. I just yelled at guys. Because guys, guys are like thermoses. You guys know what thermoses are? You can drop a thermos. It'll be okay. If I I wanted to, I could take my little green thermos. I could launch that thing across the yard and bounce a couple times. It might have a couple dents, but guess what? It's still usable. Guys are like thermoses. We're, we're, we can get dents in us. We can, still, we can get broken hips. Or, yeah, we're, we're, we're still upright, right, Ronnie? Oh, but, oh, by the way, Ronnie, I'm so excited you're here. I mean, that's like when you walked in this morning on your own two pins, I literally almost went Pentecostal. <laughs> I, I about got excited. When I saw Ronnie walk in, just... Yeah, I was just... What? I got excited. But guys, listen to me. We need godly men here. And here's what I can promise you. Statistics back me up. When you get men invested in your community, biblically, in the community of the church, 
everything else will thrive. We won't have to scratch our heads and be like, how can we make our kids' ministry better? If dad's plugged in, kids' ministry is going to thrive. How do we make our women's ministry grow? Get the men in church. If you get your men in church, your women's ministry will thrive. Your youth ministry will thrive because dad's where he's supposed to be. Period. So that's my challenge for us as a church is that we get, we start with a few of us. And then those few begin to disciple other men. And it just goes out and it just, like it starts in the, the core circle, but that circle grows. And we do what Jesus called us to do. Go make disciples. So that's my hope for us is that we would be men who are going to shepherd the flock of God. And young men, that's you too. I want you in on this. Every young man that's in this room, I want you along with us. I want you to dive in deep with us and we're going we're, we're gonna to do this together. And guys, at the end of this thing, like think about the, the end goal. The fruit that's going to come, the, the, the reward from God's word, the reward from God himself as being a faithful man who stood. Like what's the scripture say? It says those that endure to the end will be saved. Hebrews says, those that endure to the end of this thing will be saved. Fellas, like now is not the time to give up and be like, nah, I got things to do. I'm just, I just can't. You can't afford not to be here. Amen? And here's the thing, it's just crazy. If you guys knew, really knew what God had in store for you, y'all would be here every day. Like you, like the, the place, this place would be, we'd have to set chairs up in the front here and we'd have to add chairs to the balcony because there'd be hundreds and hundreds of people here eager to say, okay, what's God got for me? I'm in, I want to go. Let's, let's make it happen. I want to know my neighbor. I want to, I want to evangelize. I want to do, I want to use my fruit or my, my gift that God's given me to bear fruit. Amen. You say, I'm a Christian. Guess what? Every one of you have got a spiritual gift that you are to use to employ into the kingdom of God. I don't care who you are. If you are a Christian, you say you're a follower of Christ, then you have a gift that's been given to you by the Lord Jesus Christ. And you should be using that gift in this body. Period. Now, a lot of you do. There's people, hospitality, evangelism, teaching. But we need, we need everybody. We need everybody. If you're in Christ, we need you. We need you. So let's go. Like, let's, let's not play around anymore. Let's, 